Welcome to the Exit Plan Podcast. In today's episode, I talk to John Starr, co-founder of Clairville, a PR agency with a rich history dating back to 1989. John shares the nitty-gritty details of selling his agency, the challenges he faced during integration, and what he did after he left. He tells us about his current involvement with a space company and running press centers for global exhibitions. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Look out for a new section at the end of today's podcast called M&A Q&A, where I put your listener questions to M&A expert Nick Berry, who gives his insight on the questions that you want answered. Some sad news that I thought you need to be aware of before listening to this week's podcast. After going through the editing and approval process with John last week, I got an email from his daughter to say that he had passed away at home. John got in touch with me on a LinkedIn post when I was uh, put a call out for guests and um, I very much enjoyed talking to him um, and hearing his story. I thought he was a great uh, a great guest, um, full of personality um, and I hope you enjoy our conversation and um, this one is in memory of John Starr. Hi, I'm John Starr. I was the co-founder of a PR agency called Clairville. Um, we started on April the 2nd, 1989, and the recession started on April the 3rd, 1989. So it was an inauspicious start, uh, but hey, um, we were an unusual start because we came out of a publishing company and took out the in-house PR operation and a design agency I'd acquired for that organization some four or five years before. And so we started with a PR agency and a design agency. We then, after about nine months, realized the design agency wasn't performing up to the levels we needed to perform as an overall business and sold the design agency to the two partners we had in that, which left us with the core agency of a PR agency. Um, we started the PR with no clients. Um, and so had to run very fast because we come out as an in-house operation with yep. myself, Val Mumby, and six staff. So okay. we were funding our fund. We were funding that, but we quickly moved forward and won our first client in the first six to eight weeks. Okay, so um, so when you spun that out, was that um, was that as per an agreement with the previous yes, owners, I, or did I've you been- go and? I've been the group managing director of a um, a top five women's publishing company in the UK called Argus Press. And Argus Press was owned by BET, a, an old English conglomerate um, who owned Wembley Stadium, half of Wembley Stadium, Initial Town, a, a scaffolding company and this publishing company. They decided to get out of publishing and put it up for sale. Uh, myself and three colleagues bid for the consumer division bit I ran um, and we bid 23 million pounds of Schroeder's money, not ours, Schroeder's money, um, for the consumer division because we were making about three million pound profit a year uh, in our division. And okay. so we needed a bit of headway because we needed uh, we needed um, more cash than we needed. And it was all borrowed money at those days, nine and a half percent. Wow. So the, the valuation was about right. Uh, the other divisions of Argus were run by different people, business magazines, exhibitions, 
American trade magazines and regional newspapers, and they decided to bid for the whole lot and valued our division at 32 million. They right. won, obviously, because they yeah. outbid us by quite a large, considerable amount. And I decided while BET was a public company, a top 100, FT100, and I was very happy to make money for a little old lady, a few shares. I wasn't very happy sitting there making money for people across the table who I didn't want to join in their overall management buyout. I won't go into reasons why it was irrelevant, really, at this stage. So uh, I sat there for a while thinking I'd get fired because I was the highest paid man in the organisation. They didn't fire me. They gave me a better, they put a better deal on the table, which I refused and said, what we'll do, after, this was after speaking to Val Mumby, who was my PR director, let's start a PR agency. It seemed like a good idea at the time. And um, so I did a deal where we were able to take the PR out uh, and uh, buy the design agency for a very small amount of net assets rather than any premium. And off okay. we went. Uh, we had an investor. Uh, that investor then became our first client. And I've worked with that client now on four, he's an entrepreneur, on four of his and his daughter's businesses for the, since the beginning. I'm still, and I've worked uh, and I'm still working as a consultant for them, even though I've sold the agency um, for the last uh, 33 years. Wow. Okay. So, so you set set this agency up with with well, spun yeah. the agency out with zero clients. Then, then t- yeah. talk to me a bit about the growth over over, over the. Oh right. Years. Okay. Well, it was. A, uh, I can't say it was easy um, mm-hmm. because uh, we had a lot of ex- because our magazines were uh, in the baby market. Uh, and women's magazine general and children's markets, uh, we thought we'd win uh, clients in those marketplaces. It took us a long time. The first one we won in that market was Tomy, which I think most people will have heard of. Um, and we uh, won and lost Tomy three times uh, right. uh, during the whole <laughs> this whole period. I mean, we got them. They changed marketing director. We got fired. They changed marketing director. We get hired again. It was. It's been. It's been an interesting sort of route. Um, it wasn't that dramatic because Van and I had worked in a big corporate, and I'd run a big corporate with three hundred people and four managing directors reporting to me. I decided early on, and in conversation with my partner, decided we didn't want anything bigger than a small agency. Mm-hmm. We weren't going to. We didn't want to conquer the world. Uh, we knew how to run big businesses. We'd done that. But I wasn't into that. I didn't want politics. I didn't want all those problems that you have with a large organization. So we set it at a size. Uh, and it's a horrible statement calling it a lifestyle business. But that, in my terms, means that it's the lifestyle of the shareholders, the two partners. And what lifestyle do you want and how much money you do need to drive that? And once we'd achieved that, we stayed at that level for 20 years. Okay. So, is, and were you and Val 50 50? Um, yeah, 50 50. We're 50 50 partners until Val unfortunately uh, got ill um, and uh, told me one day that she wasn't coming in anymore. Uh, right. Which was right. totally amicable. And I said, yeah. right, well, I, I, think, I think I'll continue running it. I'll try and sell it. Um, and in the meantime, I will treat you as though you're here. And you have still have your 50% and your same income you would have had. So okay. when I came to, I moved in, when I came to sell it, we'd done such a deal that we deducted one money from the other. And so, uh, 
the, I got more of the proceeds at the end in a mm-hmm. lump sum, but Val had had the money in the meantime. So we, it was totally amicable. And, um, okay. And can you give me a So you said you roughly stayed around the same size for about, for about 20 years. What, yeah. what, what, what size was that in terms about of a, about a million pounds worth of fees? Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. And, and, and a team of how many to support that? Uh, eight or nine, depending okay. on plus a couple of freelancers in America. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, so then tell me a bit about the, the sale and, and how that came about. Okay. So, uh, I decided, um, 10 years ago that we had to be more technology focused. So I spent uh, five years trying to find a technology PR agency to merge with. Um, and I kissed a lot of frogs. Um, mm-hmm. and, I found that uh, I couldn't overcome people's egos. Um, I mean, they saw a merger as us being subservient to them. And my whole idea is I, because of my background, I could drive it forward. Because I thought then at that stage, we wouldn't stay as a lifestyle business. We could grow it. And digital was the future. Uh, It was at least 10 years ago. So about five years ago, um, I started to uh, look at selling. And uh, uh, during that time, I'd had two brokers in the normal way that you do in this business. And I'd met some people, but their value, although we'd reached the stage of, well, we might be very interested and here's our valuation type conversations, the valuations weren't in line with what I was thinking the business was worth because they what they would have meant was basically over the next three years after the sale or two years after the sale i'd only be earning my own money yeah meaning yeah i hadn't got to do anything and i'd earn the same amount of money and have complete control and not come in on wednesdays if i didn't want to so um (laughs) you know that sort of thing so um everything failed uh i was a complete failure in finding a buyer uh, but somebody uh, so I knew, even two brokers helping even you. with two brokers. I mean, I yeah. met a lot of people, but nothing was very interesting. And their, their valuations, um, right. So I taken some advice from other brokers on, um, the valuations and these two brokers I found and valuations in PR agencies are quite simple up to a million pounds worth of fees. You get about. 0.7% of your fee income. Okay. Okay. So if you've got a million, you could aim to try and get 700,000, but you'd probably get six. Okay. So because I, I, I sort of tend to think of things in multiples of EBITDA, but yeah, well, it, that yeah, it is doesn't, about three it times. But, but, no, that's also a very, so if you've got a, if you've got a million, it comes to the same amount of money. Uh, yeah. If you're making 15% on uh, a million, it comes to the same yeah. And it, what are you going to go yeah. to five times, six times, um, you know, in, in that way? It's equal. If you're running your business properly, it equals the same amount of money. So um, uh, I, I thought, well, I, you know, that's not really worth it to me. So um, one day I was having um, a drink. Somebody asked me to have a conversation with somebody else. And the person who asked me was a guy called Simon Ryan Tutt. And Simon runs uh, a company called Relationship Audits. 
he previously had been um, the marketing director, I think he was, of Grey Advertising. Um, and then he had formed a design agency, which happened to be across the courtyard from where we first had our agency. So I knew Simon. And I knew Simon. So we were having this conversation and Simon said to me, well, I can find you somebody. I said, well, you're not a broker. I, no, I'm not a broker. Um, but of course, relationship organizers work for a lot of agencies. And what they do is they have conversations with agency clients, feeling of what the performance of that agency is. And they also work for clients, uh, getting a relationship of what the agency thinks of the client. So that's the business they've, they've run for. 28 years or something. So Simon introduced me immediately to two people, uh, one of which was very interesting. Uh, it didn't come to, uh, to anything because um, he wasn't convinced that, as I wasn't in reality, that traditional PR was the future of the world. Okay. okay. Um, and he had a, it was a large, it was a large agency group and he had a PR agency amongst it. Uh, bigger than we were, but he wasn't sure that the profit margins were what he wanted to achieve, which was fair enough. And then he introduced me to the guy who eventually made me an offer, uh, who had acquired uh, four businesses in the last five years and formed an agency group. Um, he made an offer that was uh, acceptable, um, and uh, we did a deal. Um, and uh, off we went. And the deal took from the first meeting to this final signature exactly a year. While I've got you here, I just wanted to let you know a little bit about me. After having acquired a TV commercials production company earlier this year, I'm currently doing a roll-up in the video production space, and I'm looking for production companies to join my group. I also have a select group of clients that I'm advising on business growth and exit planning. So if you want to chat to me about that, get in touch with me on LinkedIn. Okay. Okay. And what was the what was what was the offer? What was the structure of the oh the structure was, the deal? Um, I wanted to sell the business and not the limited company uh, for purely for taxation reasons. Because if you sell the company, the shareholders uh, uh, get the money, and you've got to pay a different form of tax than entrepreneurs' relief and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. The other thing about it was is. Uh, the warranties you have to give when you sell a limited company are far greater than if you sell the business. Yeah. yeah. I thought. Um, okay. Anyway, <laughs> we agreed to sell the business and we also had the business in two parts because we'd started as a partnership, a non-limited company, and still yeah. had the original clients, few original clients in that bit of business and the rest of the business in the limited company. So it made it more complicated. So we sold the assets of both of them everything you know including the telephone numbers you know and that's yeah um okay and that was the structure of the business was uh we agreed the um the total amount of money we were aiming for yep. uh a third of that was paid on signature yeah and the rest of it was based on an earn out which i'll come back to of three years um and that was based on a percentage of the fee income. Now, this right. was very important. It wasn't based on profitability. Uh, because I knew of friends who'd sold their businesses, uh, sold their agencies to larger conglomerate agencies, and then based on profitability, 
they somehow sneak in more overheads and life. In yeah. The universe. Yep. But mm-hmm. on fee income, you can't cheat. Those are the fees. No deductions from the fees whatsoever. Um, just a rule about the cost of staff as a percentage of the fees. And that was quite generous. It's, uh, it wouldn't be any deduction unless the staff costs were more than 85% of the fees. Well, they were never going to be okay. that. Yeah. Um, you know, because we've been trying to run at 40%, which is quite high because most people try and get three or four times the salaries and staff costs as, as the fee income. Um, mm-hmm. we, okay. we, we never achieved that. Uh, maybe because we paid our people too much. We, we paid top quartile because okay. if you're a small agency, you want to hold on to the best people. And the way to do that is to reward them better than they're going to get anywhere else. Um, so, uh, we did the deal. We agreed the three year round out. And the most important thing about an earn out is one, you've got it firm and based on what I've said. And two, that as well, if there's a downside, in other words, if the fees go down, you're going to get less. Then there must be an upside as well that if you yeah. benefit from that as well. And that's what we Okay. Did. Okay. And um, you've touched on this already, but how were you and Val treated differently in, in that deal? No, only only the amount of money that we we had each. Okay, okay, only, and that was, was on only, the basis. Val, Val's remuneration wasn't. Uh, she wasn't involved in the earnout. I see. Okay, okay. Um, all right, and then how did the how did the integration go after after, after you sold it? Okay, <laughs> very poorly. Uh, well, okay, my. Right. And it, this is not a, it's in some ways a criticism, but it's not a real criticism. Okay. Um, they bought us because we were good at communication and we were good at content. Okay. Which was a weakness within the agency, within the overall group. Um, could fulfill that. Um, uh, except there was a, a feeling in the group of not invented here. So what do these people think they've got to tell us? I'm sure that was a feeling. It wasn't ever explicitly said. Two, uh, a lot of their clients were tech-based. Okay. And um, I pushed for a long time. We needed a tech P- recruit, a tech PR account director. And it took a year to get that over the line. And then what the person should have been sitting in all the other meetings, just saying hello to everybody, and that didn't happen. So the the integrate the integration in that way didn't happen. The people integration in into their systems happened in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. their systems were very straightforward. Um, okay, and was it a good? Was it a good cultural? A cult- Did um, the employees um, settle into the new? It, it was okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was no. Um, I mean, they were all, I mean, I think amongst all their people, the staff, they were all nice people. Um, I got on very well with everybody. Um, I, I, I only disagreed with the CEO, but I was right. bound to do that. It could have been, it could have been God. I would have disagreed with him. You know what I mean? But I what, have okay. to be honest. But that's very quite interesting. Hard, very hard. Remember, I'd been a group managing director and chairman of companies started an agency being the boss and now I'm not the boss. Okay. Mm. So unless you do it the right way, 
not necessarily the right way, my way, whatever way it is, it's going to be difficult unless what you do is a benefit. But if you do is restrictive, it's not a benefit. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what what do you think? Because that, you know, I, that comes up in, in my work quite a bit. I'm, I'm going out looking for uh, companies to buy. And I'm very aware that when a founder sells their business, they go from being a founder doing whatever they want to being an employee and that that is that's just inherent in the process it's very difficult to get around that but how well, how do you how think I, that can I be done successfully this, i said this at the time to when i did the deal i said let me give you let me give you my experience i've done 14 acquisitions in the publishing business okay it doesn't matter if it's the, the ceo or it's usually the number one that came with the business. Could have been the pub called publisher, could have been called director, whatever it is. I learned after the first three, the first thing I've got to do on the first day is get rid of the top man. Pay him off. Right. Spend the money. Get rid of him. Okay. That's interesting. So this was, that, this was in your previous role before yes. you spun off the PR thing. You yeah. did 14 acquisitions there. Yeah. Uh, Why did, did I learn work? that? Because I needed, we needed to integrate them into our culture of publishing and yeah. way of working. And it was never going to happen if you've got this doorstop, stop the door from opening and closing. And, and that's what happened. And because the, the first two were successful, the third one wasn't. The first two was a night, the first, they were all a nightmare. Um, uh, was taking up far more time than they should have done. I mean, it's a magazine. They're magazines. They're very easy businesses. You mm -hmm. write editorial, you sell advertising, you print them, and you put them on the bookshelf. Okay. I right. mean, I'm simplifying it, but that, yeah. that, there's nothing. You don't run printing presses. Somebody prints it. You know what I mean? It's not your designers are designing it. You've got the good people doing that. And if you've got good people, before you buy the magazines, you read them. And you can tell if the editorial is any good. Um, just as an aside, because I was in the women's magazine business and I used to commute on the train. It was people used to look at me very strangely when I had cosmopolitan, good housekeeping, she and everything on my commute. <laughs> well, it's no good being in the business unless you're reading your yeah. magazines and the competition, I've, is it? I've always enjoyed Cosmo personally. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, uh, so I found it was went much smooth, much smooth, and the people were very happy. Actually, I mean, we mm. used to overpay them. We used to take it in account with the in the acquisition that uh, we were going to give them a year's money to go away. Okay, did it ever work? Did it ever work hiring a founder and keeping them keeping them on? No. Fascinating. <laughs> no. Well, no, uh, no, no, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm, right. Yeah, yeah, you, okay. But it did, I, but it I, didn't work in your case when it. No, it didn't. It you, didn't work either either way. No, I mean it's probably because of my personality and my um, intransigence on. Uh, the thing about it was my earnout was dependent on performance. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Therefore, I feel that I, it was dependent on on me succeeding. If you're standing in my way of succeed of what I think is the way to success, that's a problem for me. So, what right. was the upshot of that? How did that? How long did you oh, stay? Oh, we, we were, It was three year, three year earnout. 
the upshot was uh, I was very fortunate on selling it on October the 16th, uh, 2019. Right. Right. If yep. somebody had told me what was coming with the pandemic, what the our agent, our bit of the agency, the agency as a whole was about the same, but our bit of the agency lost 40% of its fee income in a month. Yeah. 2020. Uh, okay. So uh, we had this big drop. I'm pleased to say on the day I left after three years, we had recovered to the level when I sold the business. Okay. Um, but presumably that affected your earn out in, during that it, period. It did, yeah. yeah. Well, but I will say this about um, our buyer. Uh, in the pandemic, because I was getting paid every six months, in the mm-hmm. pandemic and to protect his own cash flow, he suggested to me that we don't pay me for six months and we add the six months on to the end for an additional six months, but based on the fee income of that six months at the end, which I agreed to immediately. Um, mm-hmm. And so I recovered. I ended up with about 90% of what I thought I was going to get. And, and considering there was a pandemic, I would, I'm very happy with that. Good. And, and, work, good that they work, were... and work on the back. I'm full. I'm not being flashed because I had the business for thirty years. And it's a PR agency. And we were profitable. Uh, the money was a a sign I've been successful, not that I needed the money. If you listen to this podcast and think that sometimes you'd like to be able to ask some of the speakers some questions that are specific to your exit, I've put together a little event which will give you the opportunity to do that. So on the 31st of January, I'm hosting the first Exit Plan Live event. Um, I've invited three speakers to join me. Nick Berry, m and advisor and partner at Green Square. Lisa Pasca, who sold her SEO agency Verve to a network agency group. And Joe Lewin, the CEO of Foundy, an M&A marketplace. We'll be recording a live podcast, followed by a Q&A that won't be recorded, to give you the opportunity to ask the speakers about your plans for an exit. It's at the Riding House Cafe in Fitzrovia who do an excellent breakfast and it kicks off at 8am on the 31st of January. Link to buy tickets in the show notes and hopefully you can join us. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good that your your buyers were willing to renegotiate because I've heard mm. stories on this podcast of, of, of yeah. buyers that weren't weren't willing to do that even in light of a, of, of a pandemic. Um, so then once you've done your three-year earn out, did you... Um, did you leave or yes. what happened then okay uh, immediately uh, <laughs> I, 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 I gave a party in a simmons cocktail bar in uh, in the west end uh yeah to everybody i could think of who worked at the i've worked with over the last three years and some who got fallen by the wayside during that period and i went um uh subsequently um My first client uh, was ended up being the biggest client in the agency. Um, they were on, um, and they had a conversation with me. Uh, when are you leaving? And I told them I was leaving in October, two thousand nineteen. So uh, in the previous July eighteen, the CEO had a word with me. He said, "We're going to resign." Um, right, but we don't want it to affect your earn out. I said that's very good. I mean, we're, we're, 
client and friends, you know, over that period of time. And so I said, well, that's great. Thank you very much. So we're going to time it and we're going to speak to the CEO. And they had a very nice conversation with him. And um, so he had a year to replace that business and didn't mm-hmm. work at all at it. Right. That's right. The, the problem, really. And so um, in the year since they've left, uh, they didn't win a piece of new business for 11 and a half months. I'm okay. not saying I was the greatest new business winner, but I was maybe the, a good new business invigorator in the business. I didn't do all the pitches and I didn't go all to all the pitches by any means. Um, but that's what happened. And um, subsequent to me leaving, the client asked me to continue doing two of the things I do, which is run the press center at a global exhibition. They run the global exhibitions one in Frankfurt and one in Las Vegas and to run the press centre, not to do the PR or anything during the year and to run the press centre. So I've just come back from Las Vegas, having run the one there, 200 journalists, 140 countries exhibit, 3,500 exhibitors, 14,000 people in the halls. It's busy. And I do that and run press conferences and I do that for them. It's my expertise. Okay. And are you um, doing some consulting now for to sell? Um, I have one other. No, I have one. Um, I'm talking to somebody who's trying to sell their business, but it's not in PR. Um, okay. And uh, I'm doing some consultancy um, for, um, how would I describe it? A space company, aeronautical okay. space company, who... Uh, Theoretically, on December the 24th, the um, SpaceX NASA rocket takes off to go to the moon with a piece of art. And it's okay. I'm doing the work for the space company, which is called Spacebit. And the piece of art is by an artist called Sasha Jaffrey, who previously had sold the largest canvas in the world five years ago to $60 million. Okay. So... Right. I'm doing a bit of consultancy around that, um, and I'm working on an app currently. Okay. App these days. Who are you? Well, You're no yeah, one if you don't have an app. <laughs> no, you've got, to, you've got to have an app. Um, I'm at the stage of just writing the deck now to go and raise money. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. So in terms of um, sort of uh, you, just reflecting on your experience yeah. having bought businesses and sold businesses, are there any sort of... Words of advice, pearls of wisdom that you can offer um, yeah. my audience, which are people who are, are you know thinking about selling their business okay. one day. So um, talk to lots of people. Talk to lots of people. Have an amount in your right. Talk to do talk to brokers. Talk to more than one before you appoint any, and ask them for evaluation. See if they, you can do that. See if they do that for free. And see if that matches your valuation. You are likely to think your business is worth more to you, more in your mind than people on their minds. Yep. Think of things of why it's worth what you think it's worth and what the potential is. Okay. Uh, the best bit of advice I could give is the day you start thinking to sell, make sure that your filing of all everything you do is up to date. Because you will need that 
to sell it. And the most important thing, I mean, we had, uh, our buyer had a very aggressive sale and purchase agreement. Okay, they have an American firm of lawyers and my legal fees were twice what I thought they would be mm-hmm. because of that. However, because it was complicated and it was difficult conversations to get out of. Their sale and purchase agreement was like they were buying a hundred million pound company. It's just really unnecessary. I totally. I, yeah. Yeah, I know, but it was just, I, but I'd done so. In fact, the other side of it, I just thought, you know, you're buying a you know, million pound company. What are you, yeah. what are you doing? Anyway, mm. they did. Um, and um, all I would say to you is that um, there are two important things is um, you will have to give warranties and you will have to do a disclosure letter. Yeah. People always underestimate the disclosure letter. Unless you put the kitchen sink in there, they will come back and say, you didn't tell us about that. Yeah, the disclosure letter is to to cover is to protect you as the seller yes. from from what the warranties that are put in the SPA. Yes. Yeah. Because you're you're sort of saying this is everything that that I know, yeah. so you can't I mean, come I missed, back and I missed one tell thing me out, that I didn't. They, they hit me with it. It oh, wasn't what was much. That? It was it was fourteen hundred quid. Right. It was it was a uh, a license for some software okay. that I forgot to tell them about because I'd actually forgot I'd even got the software. See, and it came okay. up as a recurring, recurring annual cost. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not, anyway, it didn't matter. You know, 1400 here or there. So yeah. I didn't have more, more than that on expenses. But, um, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's annoying. It's annoying. Um, uh, get yourself a lawyer who's done deals of your size before. Mm-hmm. Um, not one who's done deals 10 times the size because they will be cost you even more money. Um and I've so got exactly. You, I've got exactly the situation at the moment. I'm. I'm um, just going into due diligence with um, a business, and the seller has been quoted an astronomical sum by a lawyer, and it just and it just seems like um, this guy just isn't isn't um, familiar with deals of this size. You've, no. you've got to take a pragmatic approach to deals yeah. at the at the lower yeah. end of the market. Yeah, you know, and just I mean, and teach yourself. Because um, I was lucky, because I've done lots of deals, um, I was able to do a lot of the legwork for the lawyer. Otherwise, there'd been even more. Um, yeah, yeah. So I can, I mean, I can read a contract. So um, and do the the bits and pieces and pull the bits together, which I did, rather than the lawyer writing the stuff. I wrote it and then had the lawyer check it. Um, see if you can do that, or if you've got a friend who knows who can do that sort of thing just to get you to the stage where you're doing some of the work yourself but do remember remember it was a year if my deal took a year you've got to do the deal side and all that at weekends and nights you've got to continue running your business yeah we did so just remember that you've got to do all this additional work at night and at weekends You've got to continue running your business or it will go downhill. I think that's very true is that um, it can really distract founders because they they sort of get pulled into the excitement mm-hmm. of the yeah. deal and getting all the due diligence stuff across and yeah. then they take their eye off 
yeah. new business and sales numbers drop. So yeah, 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 yeah. And then, then, and and the buyer will notice that because it's going to take a period of time, and they will want the latest figures all the time, won't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, so yeah, I mean, but, but um, you know, I, I would say you're buying and selling businesses and uh, doing that sort of thing. It's exciting. You know that's yeah. It is. I agree. I, I I really enjoy it. It's it's bloody hard work. <laughs> um, yeah, of course it is. But but it is. Uh, yeah, it, it is fun. Welcome to M and A Q and A with Nick Berry, M and A advisor to media and marketing agencies, who is a partner at Green Square. Each week, he answers one listener question. So, first question is from Davide Lorente from Casa Creative, and he asks. What size is the right size to start thinking about merging another team into yours? I've come across other small teams and the thought has crossed my mind. There's a lot of doubling up of work. We could have better economies of scale if we stopped competing and just went hunting together. Sure. Okay. Uh, good question. I mean, mergers are obviously different to acquisitions, although they're often in the same bucket. And when you're of a certain size that you're thinking of literally merging with another company to get those kind of economies of scale, it really boils down to culture and chemistry and whether you and the owners and managers of another team that you're thinking of combining with have the same kind of outlook and philosophy and whether you feel that the two businesses and teams have a similar culture, etc. If you think all of that fits, then that's a good starting place. Um, I would probably suggest that it's best to think of things from a commercial perspective and try things from a partnership perspective before you actually dive into doing some kind of formal equity split and equity sharing and merge the two entities into one. That way you can see if the proof is in the pudding and whether your teams work well together, etc. And uh, and then take it from there. And that can be the first step of knowing that you're onto something that's going to work and be a positive outcome later down the line. Yeah, I think there's... Um there's something to be said for sort of approaching it with confidence because I think a lot of times agency founders sit around and kind of have this conversation that it would be perhaps useful you know maybe we could get some agency with complementary services together but then sort of nothing ever really comes of it so I guess it's finding that middle ground between obviously not going down the legal route straight away because that's too too complicated and you have to sort of test it first but also having enough of the sort of impetus to actually do it to start working together um absolutely i mean it's about complementary services you've got to think about whether you're just by coming together you're a bigger version of what you are individually or whether actually you've got complementary services it's also very much about your clients as well do you have complementary offerings that your clients want um in certain situations you may have actually conflicts between clients that you have and by coming together as one you might not be able to keep all of those clients so there's lots of things to consider um, but it's really about chemistry and seeing if it works before you start getting lawyers involved and worrying about actually making things happen. It, I, I I once had a situation where, you know, going back 20 odd years now, I spent a long time working on a kind of partnership agreement from a legal and structural perspective, and then nothing ever actually came from it. So, you know, it, it's it's far better to it's kind of suck it and see, start working on some projects together, really see how the teams work together and take it from there. Yeah, yeah. And I would say you do need someone to really 
want to do it and to drive it and to make sure those chemistry meetings happen or you are actually getting together every month and and sharing clients and you know actually practically kind of pushing it forward because it would be so easy to just sort of let it fall by the wayside when yeah, you get caught up, when you, you get busy you've kind you know? of got to see it almost as a yeah. marriage you know and and you know you you've got to you've got to you've got to go out on a few dates you've got to try a few things see that you've got common interest etc before you then take it to the next stage and, and jump into bed together very nice very nice thank you if you would like us to answer one of your questions drop me a line on barnaby at foxcogroup.com or send me a message on linkedin and we'll answer it in a future episode thank you very much for listening to the exit plan podcast if you enjoyed it please leave us a review to help other people find us if you're wondering what's next for you and your business and want to chat about an exit plan Drop me a line on barnaby at foxcogroup.com or connect with me on LinkedIn.